You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And this week, we are going to keep moving along the conversation in the apartment space by taking a bit of a term we've never taken before. We've referenced it a few times, positing the future of this space, but for the first time in over 250 episodes, we're going to talk to the man in electric vehicle charging, Mark Jaisman from Jet Charge. He's designing Western Australia's EV charging network. He's also designing some of Western Australia's biggest apartment building EV charger setups as well. You might think, Trent, what do EV chargers and EV cars have to do with property it's the perth property show but it's going to make a big difference to the way that we live and buy apartments even our own houses we can talk about that too mark going forward into the future and therefore will have a big impact on values as well mark thank you very much for coming in yeah great to be here first thing i wanted to talk about today i guess was if you can give us a little bit of a state of play if you can on where the ev market is we see a few teslas around some byd cars are coming in we see some hybrids it's starting to slowly filter through in the West Australian market. Certainly in the last 12 months, I've seen a lot more. But yeah, definitely. how's it going right now? And what's the forecast, if you can, for when you think we'll hit a, an iPhone-style critical mass in the EV space? And look, at something that you're definitely noticing more EVs on the road, and we get that a lot. So we are starting to see that uptick. And to cite an example of that, last year we sold just over 46,000 EVs in Australia We've done that in the first six months of 2023. So that gives you an example of the penetration we're starting to see. We were at just over 4% penetration. And to highlight an example of where we are going, the United Kingdom, similar market drive. Similar culture. Yeah, similar culture. And if you look at what they did when they dealt with things like FBT and fuel efficiency standards, that went to 25% market penetration in a matter of a couple of years. And that actually happened during COVID for them. So we're at that tipping point where vehicles are getting cheaper starting to become parity with combustion engine vehicles. Petrol's getting more expensive. Petrol's getting more expensive. And I think the biggest thing is the range of vehicles we're starting to see come through. So definitely the next two to three years are going to be very telling with that very rapid uptick with the EV space. And that's why transitioning our buildings and getting ready for the future is so important right now. I've always said that progress, especially in the technology space, happens on the curve of profitability. And that's not just for companies, but it's for the consumer as well, right? I think that if petrol was down at $1.20 a litre, there'd probably be a, a lot less penetration. We use a lot of ideology. We all want to move to be in a greener space. But most people, they're focused on cost of living and that's their number one priority, right? If you could drive a really cheap Camry around with petrol all day, no one's going to really make that move, I don't think. But I think we are being pushed. The conspiracy theorists will say that someone's behind this, but we are certainly being pushed, aren't we, to at least considering the option of EVs. But then if once we do, the next step is how are we going to charge them? There's a big fear factor out there about what we don't know right now, and that is how will it change our life? Things like range anxiety. Am I going to run out of battery power on the side of the road? I've thought about that. that. You know, everyone does, and that's a natural thing. And I think 
until you've experienced and driven an EV or, or spoken to someone that actually has lived or is living it and breathing it, you start to understand that some of those fears are not quite founded. But coming back to your point about cost, yeah, look, there's some really interesting things that, uh, apart from the price of petrol and so forth, you start to dig into the total cost of ownership of an EV and realise that there's really not any servicing. The ongoing costs are very inexpensive. So when you Why is that? Well, you know, really, you're just talking about electric motors. So apart well, a lot from, less things in them is what you're saying. A lot less things in them. Yes, there's more technology and they're very clever pieces of machinery. But at the end of the day, apart from windscreen wipers, some tires and the few usual checks, there's not really much to go wrong. So from an operational point of view, if you're a business, you're a fleet, that's really the low hanging fruit. And we're starting to see commercial businesses that have operational equipment like trucks and so on, last mile delivery type of stuff, starting to flip already because they're realizing, apart from the sustainability and the green aspect to it, just the total cost of operation is so much less than petrol. I've heard things such as, you know, after 10 years, the battery is going to be dead just like my iPhone goes out every year and a half, and then it's going to cost me 10 grand to get a new battery put in. How's that work? The great thing about battery technology is that it's ever evolving. Every few months, there's a new discovery around the longevity of batteries, the chemistry in the batteries. And we're seeing batteries already with the warranties of those vehicle manufacturers starting to put things like 10-year warranty on the batteries. What we do know is that battery recycling is a very real thing, number one so they won't go to waste. They're putting into repurposing those batteries rather into being, you know, stationary batteries for buildings and so forth. All of those very new kind of concepts where are ever evolving. The technology is rapidly increasing to but a is, point. Does that not mean that my car, just like, again, a piece of technology is going to be obsolete way quicker than a petrol car that we used to would be because every couple of years it's getting way smarter and way more efficient. If I just wait till next year, my battery is going to be 20% better in the same way that you look at RAM or things like that? It's a good analogy. I mean, certainly, as you know, with technology, software does play a role with that in optimizing that piece of equipment over its life. Definitely, that will play a role. But I, I think I come back to the efficiency of the driving experience is different to a petrol car. But you talk to people who have made the transition, those concerns start to drift away very quickly when you realise the upside of what the vehicle can deliver. And as we move towards how we fuel these vehicles, if I could put it that way, with electricity, and the fact as West Australians, as Australians, we have fantastic rooftop solar and renewables coming into the system and we can fuel those vehicles at home or work very cheaply that's a game changer particularly in australia let's talk about the ability to fuel these cars the number one thing that i know is that western power is an absolutely knackered organization nothing works there there's not enough people with enough intelligence going on in that business in the first place for the stuff we have got problems for all the power that has been provisioned around western australia is now becoming obsolete in a way that the whole system nearly needs to get upgraded just for the things we have in our house already let alone getting to a critical mass of people charging massive batteries every day in their garage does the network even have the capacity for western australia 
to get to a critical mass of EV cars? Are we going to be our own worst enemy, eat ourselves alive into a rolling blackouts if half of the states got EV cars because Western power just can't keep up? So look, this is something that does come up very often because back in the 1980s, late 70s, into the 1980s, when air conditioning started becoming a thing in mm-hmm. properties, right? Probably the same question. Everyone said, the electricity grid, it's going to blow up. We can't cope. And yet here we are today. That's a fair point. The the system is knackered at the moment, right? That's a fact, isn't it? Oh, look, so there are challenges definitely in terms of the transmission and the grid per se. Do we have enough power? Yes, we do. That's the thing that everyone's forgetting. With Particularly with WA, we have fantastic renewable. The solar uptake is world leading. The thing is that this is shifting towards self-sustainability in some part because of the fact that everyone forgets, unlike perhaps an induction cooktop, because you know, as a community, we are shifting towards electrification. So this is not just about EVs, right? And buildings will become more efficient through electrification. That is a proven fact. Commercial buildings are going that way too. But when it comes to EVs, here's the thing that people probably overlook. The reality is that in most states, capital cities particularly of Australia, the average person, Trent, only drives 50 to 60 k's a day. Mm. And I'm talking average here, the average commute. So for most people that install a proper EV charger at home, and I'll come to the cost, that EV charger, coming to your point, only needs to work for about an hour, an hour and a half. So we're not talking about a massive rush of power coming in for 20 hours a day to charge a car. Once you start to appreciate it's not as bad as you thought, the cost is quite modest to charge your car. To install a proper EV charger that is hardwired into your home, you're talking around about $1,500 to $2,000 for a high quality smart charger, but they do start from the underside of $1,000. Do you reckon at some point the state government of the day is going to bring an incentive in the same way they did with solar and the same that same way they did with LPG conversions for cars. That will be something that will come in at some point, surely. Yeah, in fact, Trent, we've just finished up the round one charge-up grants in Western Australia that were subsidised by the state government, which allowed mainly businesses, shires and so forth to put commercial workplace EV charging and, and public EV charging in. We are coming up to round two. And that'll be targeted more broadly, uh, not only commercial, but public charging. So if there's any investors, corporate, private, or governments that want to put charging in, they can do that. But I do agree there is room, Trent, for the state government to step in and provide subsidy for infrastructure, particularly for apartments, class two buildings. South Australia and other governments that are subsidising OCs and strata councils, supporting them to build backbone for retrospective fits because that's certainly something that's going to challenge existing brownfields uh, sites. Well, let's segue into that if we can, Mark. So uh, I've put this to the podcast before to the listeners, this question that I haven't got the answer for. Some point in the mid to short term, there's going to be a significant challenge in Western Australia with regards to hitting a critical mass of EV cars but most apartment buildings around Perth not having the infrastructure in their basement or wherever the car park is, and also not even having really the space to retrofit that in the first place without serious cost on top of that. And therefore, what that will do is minimize or restrict the demand for those apartments and turn those apartments into what we would see today as 
the flats of the 70s that just never seem to appreciate and value because they don't have the basic amenity we want in 2023. Is that a real risk that there's going to be a whole bunch of apartment buildings that have been built in the last 10 to 15 years that just get left behind because the strata companies of the current owners are the ones that are in charge of spending this money and decide, no, we don't have the money for it or we don't want to spend the money on it? It is certainly a risk that the lack of that amenity or the ability for a resident to safely have that installed. And I put emphasis on the words safely. So for background, we talked about a single dwelling residential home before. To be clear, apartment EV charging is a very, very different beast. It does rely on a common house platform, if you like. So the strata, the developer for a greenfield site, is responsible for providing a backbone infrastructure to allow that resident to have a point of attachment for their own private EV charger. Well, I think about my apartment building in North Perth, which is only seven years old. As I said to Callum last week, there's only one power point in the whole basement and that's for the Wi-Fi router to connect up to the fire service. Where are the power points going to go? Yeah, and Trent, I'm glad you mentioned the word power points. This is something that stratas, strata councils should actually be outlawing the use of. We go into apartments every day of the week, scoping with a view to look at up Upgrading that infrastructure on the sites. And the first thing we see is two or three EVs plugged into a PowerPoint, like trickle a charging, cleaner. treated like a vacuum cleaner. Now, the one thing is that two or three vehicles in a complex is not really going to create too much impost. However, if the uptick on the, the penetration rates we spoke about before comes to fruition in the next two to three years, and that all of a sudden is 10 cars in your complex charging, that has the potential to trip out the entire building and actually cause a risk of damage to the electrical infrastructure for everyone. And that includes... Writing on the wall, this is going to happen. This is a thing. So, And that actually extends, Trent, to your own PowerPoint. If you've got your own little storage cupboard or workshop or, or garage that is actually on your own property... Just a detached dwelling. Yeah, so at, at home, it's it's generally no issue trickle charging, but in apartment and townhouse settings, the building has to have some technology installed and we have to have what we call proper smart charging, which maybe we'll talk about, under a managed system. And that's the crucial thing here. And that's why if we talk about as we move forward to greenfield sites, the federal government through the National Construction Code has now mandated some guidelines around what developers need to do moving forward. Yeah, so that is an important move because we're hitting a bit of a watershed moment. You can feel it on the roads in Western Australia. But do you have any idea yourself about what it would cost to retrofit, let's say, in a 100-apartment building? Are we going to run into issues where it's going to be millions of dollars? What's the scale here of cost to every apartment owner? What we have to appreciate coming back to an earlier point that we discussed is no one can predict what resident will buy an EV when and which car bay that will go into. But it will affect value. So I think Absolutely. It's, it's an investment yeah. that every apartment owner in Western Australia right now that invariably doesn't have the facilities currently attached to their apartment is going to have to make in the next few years. Otherwise, their apartment will go down the same roads the flats of the 70s has. Yeah, and we're starting to see in the media some EV owners, uh, early adopters, 
actually looking to move from their apartment simply because the strata has fears or is simply putting a blanket ban over charging and not investing in even scoping it. So what I would suggest to you from a cost point of view is to consider for the strata a couple of really key areas of where the cost overhead does come into play. So firstly, the electrical infrastructure does need to be upscaled. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to Western Power and asking for more power. Most of the sites we can use the existing power that is there, it's how we use it. So one of the key things that we bring into an apartment complex, and in fact, this has been mandated by the construction code for greenfield sites, is what we call an energy management system. And what that does is basically automatically understand how much power is being consumed by the building and how much it can take of that to put into EV charging. It's basically a device that goes on the site. It's constantly monitoring the peak electricity use of the building. So obviously in the evening when everyone gets home, they're putting lights on, got the TV on, the aircon's cranked. Plugging the car in. Well, that's right. There's not as much power available. So what the system does is go, all right, I'm going to wind back all the EV chargers to keep the building safe from tripping out. But of course, overnight, during the day, it winds all those EV chargers up. And it's also juggling the charging around between all of the residents for equality. So it's a system that is almost like a digital traffic cop. It's juggling those charging sessions around, but importantly, it's protecting the electrical assets of the building. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to get the wiring from that residence EV charger back to what we call electric vehicle distribution board. So point, points of attachment. To the switchboard, essentially. Yeah, and the switchboard is actually part of the common area of the building. It is rare that we connect to a resident's own electricity, Western Power, or Synergy meter. So that's why from a strata point of view, there is a backbone. We're seeing sort of average cost trend coming back to your 100 apartment example per car bay because we have to really cover car bays 100%. So apartment class two buildings, it's 100%. And those pathways generally average out anywhere from $800 up to about $1,800 times the amount of car bays you have in that site. So that's not bad. I was expecting it would be significantly more than that for the infrastructure you would need. I guess that's that price plus the battery system or the charging system. So the infrastructure, the strata company, the apartment building owners themselves as a group, you're saying you know a couple of grand for everyone each to get all the infrastructure they need. And then the individual owners then have to put their own charging system in on top of that. That is correct. So That's not so, that bad. So we've got some very proactive developers that are actually including in particularly greenfields the last leg of cabling right up to their car bay to what we call an isolation point. And then the resident, as you said, simply buys a compatible smart EV charger. So it's a proper hardwired EV charger. It's not a PowerPoint. Mm. The resident has affixed to the wall and that is attached to that energy management system, the common system of the building. So that yeah, sounds it, like a fibre to the node, NBN style thing where it goes to the node, the government's paying to the node and you have to pay to plug in. Correct. So really there's a responsibility for the strata to set the building up for success, to create the pathway, the backbone, that enablement. Yep. Because every time 
a resident wants to add an EV charger, it shouldn't be a massive fuss about it. So one thing that we do at Jet Charge with Stratas, with developers, is, and this is a really important point, is that it's not just about getting all that stuff in place. It's also about setting up guidance and approval programs with the Stratas for approvals for residents to do that. So we've got some apartments from day one that have got 100 EV chargers going to be installed and the rest of those will come over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Well, because you think about it, it, it's not mandated that people who live in apartments must have an EV cart. Obviously, people will move in the same way, just like it's not mandated everyone must have an iPhone. Some people still roll around with the old Nokia, right? Some exactly. people don't have a phone at all in the same way that some people ride a bicycle or a motorbike and why would they want to pay for a charger if they don't need one? But the infrastructure's there if they want to sell the apartment one day with the car bay and the next person can move in and have that freely yeah. available. And, and this is what the National Construction Code, so in October of 2023, the time we we're recording this podcast, nationally, if I was building a brand new apartment site, class two building, it would be incumbent on me to have 100% coverage for that backbone. Now, in Western Australia, the state government has sought to, due to the pressures on construction, get a grace period until May 2025. But effectively what that means as a developer is that I would need to create those electric vehicle distribution boards and have capacity for every car bay to be attached in the future. And that's what you've been doing recently with some of the most notable buildings in Perth, right? Blackburn's been a client of yours. You've got Edge with Eden Village. Tell us some stories there. We work directly for a lot of developers. We also support other industry players in the market, embedded network providers. EV is a hot space right now. Jet Charge has been doing this for uh, over 10 years nationally. When the first Teslas came in, in fact, our business started in partnership with Tesla about 10 years ago. So certainly we've got thousands of apartments under management across Australia and have our technology in it. Look, some of these developments that are going in West Australia, obviously we're seeing the covers taken off a few over the, the last yeah, few months. you've got one Subiaco, The Grove, obviously Edge is doing quite a bit of work too, Finbar's doing quite a bit of work. These are the large apartment buildings. You're telling me that they these guys all have EV facilities in there and if they don't they'd be an idiot yeah look I think a lot of these developers and and uh, there's certainly we've got a number uh, under construction at the moment I think they all appreciate that the demographic that's starting to invest in EVs it just makes sense to at least set those buildings up for success and allow the resident to add those as they require. Apart from all we've said today, Trent, all the global automotive OEMs, they have ceased petrol investment in, in new engines. It's all shifting to electric. Australia is behind the eight ball. There's good and bad in that. The good is that we've got the learnings of the rest of the world and how they've done it and what not to do. The downside is that we are waiting for the federal government to mandate the fuel efficiency standards. Australia is effectively a dumping ground for petrol and diesel vehicles that no one else in the world wants or is allowed to drive or allowed to buy. So I think that's lost on people that we are basically the bargain basement of the globe, apart from Russia. I think culturally is still a way to go to get people across the line on EVs. and But that will, I think, come just like culturally in Western Australia. There's a little bit of a way to go to get people across the line on apartments. When you start trickling across getting a critical mass, people jump in an EV for the first time, recognize it's not that much different or in, in a lot of ways it can be better. 
and they start to finally consider it in the same way that there are still so many people out there that have never even walked in an apartment before, let alone an EV. That's a great analogy and we're not saying to people get rid of your Hiluxes and your Land Cruisers tomorrow because in WA particularly with our great spaces in this great state, we love to get in the car, we love to drive, we're great travellers, we've got lots of open roads to do that. Regional areas certainly are a challenge. And, and well, let's talk about it, right? You've mentioned that you're managing the rollout of the world's largest public EV infrastructure being from the top of WA to the bottom. Tell us how that's going and how someone can feasibly hop in their electric vehicle in Marangaroo and take a trip to Karajini with the EV car? It's certainly a thing we're partway through the project. I don't know about the largest, but it's certainly the longest at over 7,500 Ks. And once finished in 2024, you will be able to jump in your car and drive to Kananara because those stations will be no more than around 200 kilometres apart. Now, for context, most EVs on the road today or that are sold today have an average battery of about 400 Ks. The new Ionic 6 Hyundai came out a few weeks ago. That is 615 kilometres real world. With battery technology, going back to that earlier point, we're starting to see 800 kilometre range vehicles, 900 kilometre range vehicles. Not that it's commercially available, but we've already got 1,000 K plus vehicles. So we're rivaling diesel dual tank Prados and Land Cruisers and the like. So the state government has invested in getting this infrastructure up, pull in, whack two, 300 kilometres in range on your car in a matter of 15, 20 minutes, half hour, depending on your car, and you shoot off to your next destination. Now, regional areas off the main routes obviously do pose a challenge, but look, anywhere there's a power point is effectively an EV charger. But one of the things we're doing at Jet Charge at the moment is we're about to launch our off-grid energy EV charging solution. So this is a self-contained skid, effectively, that has solar panels, EV chargers on it, and battery storage. So this is going to unlock some of the regional areas. We're in the middle of nowhere. There are challenges. And in fact, on the WA highway, there are locations that are completely off-grid. Uh, Horizon Power has invested in some great technology to allow us to provide rapid DC charging in the absolute middle of nowhere. And that's where I think most people would be concerned. Even if they're not concerned they're going to run out of juice, it's that they would jump in the car from Perth, go down to Margaret River. On the way, that they realise they only had half a tank in the first place. They've got to stop somewhere along the way. Let's say it's Bunbury in a charging station. And lo and behold, there's 38 other cars in front of them with the same problem everyone's going to take 15, 20 minutes to rapid charge their car and they're there for four hours waiting in the queue. That's probably one of the bigger concerns is that as more people take this up, we actually, it's nice that we've got a couple of charging stations that make a good photo, but certainly not going to service a long weekend of people going down south. Yeah, agreed. And that's always going to be a balancing point, supply and demand, uh, but certainly in peak times that can become a challenge. But again, driving down south, you can do that in one charge. So it's not really an issue with most of the modern vehicles. Going further than that, though, the state government, we're starting to see this already, part of the impetus was to encourage private commercial players to come in and add more EV chargers, more plugs. Well, so, let's segue into that, right? Yeah, so definitely. A big push I've seen the last few years has been uh, massive investment into fuel stations. Have you noticed that there's just ironically way more fuel stations popping up especially places like Morley for example a fuel station that had been decommissioned remediated over the last 15 years 
suddenly a couple of years ago a new fuel stations popped up there and you thought well hang on a sec didn't they shut down for a reason and aren't we going to ev so my assumption is that there's a whole bunch of guys jumping and going well it might be a petrol station now but five ten years from now we're going to be the ev charging station it takes longer to charge a car so we're going to have more patronage at our convenience store make some more money off of chocolate bars and ice creams and this is our play is that what's going to happen you're onto something there trent when we design ev charging systems this is not a just about connecting up some electricity and some technology and let's get going. It is very strategic in the kind of user case that we explore when we talk to corporate customers. And a lot of it is used for retention on commercial sites. So uh, one of our largest customers is Vicinity Retail Group. We do sites such as DFO, we do the shopping centres right across Australia. And part of the success of bringing EV charging, apart from taking advantage of the big solar arrays on the on the roof sites of a lot of these facilities and making use of that lovely sunshine for customers and making it free for charging, which is fantastic, is we can scale that charging to a point where it can hold the customer on a site for a period of time. So for example, Capture them. it's linger and spend, right? Here's a great example. I had a winery in the Swan Valley ring me a few weeks ago and, and said, we want one of these big EV chargers like you're using on the highway. And once I got talking with them and the budget wasn't so much the issue, but I'm like, have you got a cellar door? And he said, oh yeah, we do. And I'm like, well, do you have a restaurant on site? And he goes, actually we, we do. And I said, so you want to hold people really for like an hour and a half or even at the cellar door for at least half an hour. And I said, why do you want the biggest EV charger you can afford? <laughs> yeah, you want the piddlier one that keeps them there longer. Yeah, so it's about instead of one big charger with one plug or two plugs, how about you spend a similar amount of money but put in six plugs, you've got six smiles on faces, and they're not getting up halfway through their meal to go and disconnect their car because the guy behind him wants to charge. Honking his horn. Exactly. So all of a sudden, this is very strategic from a business retention point of view. So coming back to your point about fuel outlets, look, we all know over the last years, it's about convenience and it's about iced coffees and it's about buying a packet of chips and so forth. So EV charging from a business point of view plays beautifully into that because the layover time, the charging window, as we call it, whilst it's longer than petrol with those rapid charges is not much longer than petrol at the moment is it going to get to a point you think where it will be a minute or two just like filling your tank up is that just where you will probably go is it even possible that along the timeline into the future in the same way that computers have gotten smaller and smaller and faster and faster is are we just going to get to a point where you plug it in for 30 seconds you fill the whole car up like some star wars episode what's amazing to me trent is whilst we've as i said been in the the game for for a number of years now there are things six months ago we didn't think would be possible that are now possible i would suggest to you and i've worked in the smart technology space across the property field for 30 years in west australia I have never seen an industry that has moved so rapidly as this new electric vehicle industry, and particularly the infrastructure. It's kind of like three months in this space is like three years in anything else. So my answer to you is it's not impossible. We don't know when that will happen, but I think the important point here is that to put into context, we've all grown up with going to the service station, filling up our car and taking off once a week. The difference here is that 90% of charging electric vehicles is going to happen at home 
and at work. The only time really the convenience, the fuel station comes into it is that if we're going somewhere en route, we're driving up north, going down south, going on a road trip, or if you're a commercial driver, an Uber driver, a transport driver and so forth. So really, I think the convenience stores, obviously they're shifted to that convenience store model some time ago. Are some of them doing EV charging? Yes, we work with some of the fossil fuel companies to support them with that infrastructure. It'll be a part of the mix for some time, uh, probably for some of them to stay relevant. It really comes down to how you use your electric vehicle. It will be a transition. Whilst a lot of these apartment buildings, fully detached homes, don't have the infrastructure, there'll be more of a reliance on the grid. And as it becomes more normalised within apartment buildings, within fully detached homes, to have all this charging equipment just available without having to spend any money on it, it's just there from last guy who owned the property. I'm assuming that's where you're forecasting there'll be less reliance, less relevance of the 10 petrol stations within a kilometre of this studio? I always get the old, oh, it takes too long to charge and can do petrol in five minutes and fill my car up and I'm off. But the thing I would say to that is I've taken 30 seconds to plug my car in and walk inside and I've forgotten about it. How long has that taken me? And I'm doing it at home and I'm doing it off my solar free of charge. I don't know about you, but paying two bucks 20 for a litre of fuel. It's jading at the, at fuel the moment, that's yeah, for sure. That, when I jump in my car in the morning, it's got a full battery. I'm ready to go. And here's the really cool thing, and I don't know whether this has been really focused on, but a lot of the new vehicles coming through, my vehicle out here in the car park, I could pull up to one of our work sites and actually power that entire work site for four days via Reverse the car. charging. Circular saws, tradie radios. And we're going to start to see utes very shortly. I think Isuzu has announced their first electric ute. There's other utes on the market as well. All of these have power points in the back that will allow running your work site. No generator required, so it's nice and silent. There's no fumes and you're not putting two-stroke or four-stroke in a generator. And you're still driving home at night. So think about that for a moment. It's a game changer for a lot of tradies, isn't it? It is. It is. Without crushing the dream of a lot of us when we jump in our Hilux or Land Cruisers and hit the open road, I think we'll start to see as a, a tool of trade that, that become very important. Uh, maybe I'll leave you with one final thought on that point. Imagine if that car was actually running your house overnight off its battery instead of the electricity grid. So vehicle to grid is a very real thing. Rather than the car drawing from the power grid, which it can do, of course, when the sun's shining during the day, we can take all of that and store it in the battery. But at night, when there's heavy demand, as we talked about before on the electricity grid, imagine all these cars feeding their electricity not only into your house, but back into the electricity grid. So when people say, oh, electric cars are going to be a drain on the electricity grid, in fact, the federal government's electricity regulator is actually factoring seven gigawatts to come back into the electricity supply by 2050 from electric vehicles. Wouldn't that, again, bring a bit of fear into the market of getting up in the morning and not having a full charge, but only having half a tank? So, because uh, you've been powering your PlayStation, your fridge overnight with it? So I'd suggest jumping onto YouTube and Googling up Ballycroft Wines in the Barossa Valley. He has one Nissan Leaf, which doesn't have a very big battery on it. It's not a big car. It's not a big car. Yet he charges that during the day. He drives into Adelaide to do his deliveries of all of his wine. He drives at home 
and then in the evening plugs it in and powers his entire house, his winery, including all the plant and equipment, off the car. So where's the power coming from in the first place? Off the solar. So in the middle of the day, it's charging the car, and at night time, the car is charging the house. Correct. So he's saving about $6,000 a year in electricity. Mm. So you think about supporting and stabilizing the electricity grid. Imagine if you had the mums and dads of Australia doing that and contributing back to the energy grid and being paid for the privilege. Well, so, maybe that's the only way Western Power survives this. Coming back to your point, distribution, transmission are the challenges for the electricity providers. But we see the future of electric vehicles being able to do bi-directional charging, giving electricity back into your house back into the electricity grid. And that is very valuable as an import, like solar was back in the day when it started, and actually it was worth something in a monetary sense. So we're gonna see this with electric vehicles, and we'll start seeing this once the regulation is sorted out in Australia in the next three to five years. Mark, I think we'll leave it there. It sounds like a really good segue into uh, the rest of us having a think about how our lives are going to change over the next few years with that iPhone-style watershed moment I think we can all feel is about to happen. Uh, It certainly made my car purchasing decisions a little bit harder, waiting and waiting for something that might suit that next generation for me. It's also augmented my home ownership decisions because at the moment, I couldn't even have an electric vehicle if I wanted one given where we're living. So I think we're going to be shifting in this decade into a brand new generation, I guess, of car ownership, obviously, which is going to have a huge impact on the way we value our homes going forward. And therefore, as we've just to tie it up, as we've mentioned, is going to have a huge impact on the investment decisions that not only fully detached homeowners are going to have to have, sort of like how solar sort of has made an impact on house values, but more importantly on how strata companies make their decision on investing in their apartment buildings. Otherwise, sorry, people, you are going to end up being the flats of the 70s if you don't. Yeah, definitely. Mark, thanks so much for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!